to see your smiling faces. We are starting this series now called Thrive. And um, we're going to be tackling one of the most complex issues of life, and that is this. How does someone grow? How does someone grow? How does a human life actually change? And specifically, why do some people grow and others don't? Over the 30 plus years that I've spent in Christian leadership, I'd say that two things have astonished me regularly. Number one, I am amazed at how much some people's lives change over the years. Second, I'm amazed at how little some people's lives change over the years. Both of these things have astonished me. <coughs> There are multiple examples of real growth and life change that have just taken my breath away. Because quite often I will hear stories about what God is doing in people's lives. Someone will stop me and talk to me about it and tell me what's going on. Um, they'll write me or one of the staff members a text or an email and tell us what's going on in their life as a result of the activity of God. And when we read those texts or those emails or get those comments, I have to tell you, it is so motivational for us who lead this church. Because um, here we are trying to honor God and um, walk His pathway as we lead Life Church. And when we hear stories like this kind of powerful life change, it's what keeps us in the game. Because we're just, you know, we're trying to honor God. And this reminds us that it's all worth it. It's all worth it. So it's thrilling to watch growth. It's thrilling to watch life change happen on the inside of people that are around you. It is equally astonishing and quite depressing, actually, to see folks who have been around a long time who, from all indications, really have just not grown very much. I mean, there are people who started coming years ago, maybe, who were fearful or bitter or greedy. And maybe even for a season of time, it's understandable that they carry that sort of baggage. Every, we all have something. We all have something. But what's sad is that some people maybe have been coming for years and they're still just as fearful or bitter or greedy as they were when they came. They're not thriving. They haven't really grown much or at all. I mean, you'd think a little progress would be made. You'd think there'd be those unprotected moments where something good would sneak in and cause some change. But for some, it just doesn't seem to happen. And it is important for us to know that there is no neutral in the Christian life. You're either going forward or you're going backwards. So in this series called Thrive, I'm going to unpack this and remove the mystery when it comes to growth. Because it's not random, it's not very mysterious, and it's not reserved for those who glow in the dark. You know, there was a Christian group just a, a number of years ago that conducted literally thousands of interviews on the subject of growing in faith. So they asked questions. They listened to the, the responses as people described the conditions that were present and the factors that contributed to the growth and life change that took place. And they took, this group took copious notes about what they learned. When the interviews were done, they took those results and they prayerfully dissected them. And what they uncovered was a pattern that was phenomenally consistent. There were five things that kept rising to the surface of these discussions. People may have used different words to describe them, 
but the, the emphasis kept being placed on these five recurring themes. And although these things are not found as a list per se in the Bible, the themes behind them are demonstrated throughout the pages of Scripture. And it's not at all what you would guess. Because if I were to ask lots of you, you might come up with your own list of five things and uh, you guess, you might say, okay, let's see, five things. Uh, read the Bible, prayer, uh, go to church, don't swear and call your mother. Are those the five? No. 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 Here's what we're going to be looking at for the next handful of weeks. Here they are. These are what we're calling five things that God uses to help you thrive. Here they are. Practical teaching, providential relationships, private disciplines, personal ministry, and pivotal circumstances. Those five things. These are the realities that just kept coming up in the faith stories of those who were actually growing in their walk with Jesus. The ones who were experiencing success when it comes to seeing positive change occur in their lives. Bad habits falling by the wayside. Destructive impulses and tendencies no longer dictating policy in their lives. These folks were giving accounts of how God was working in them and through them, making them different than they actually were in the past. These are the folks that would say things like this. Thank God. I'm growing. I can see it. And the people around me can see it too. I'm growing. So today we're going to look at this very first thing that God uses to help us thrive, to help us grow, and that is practical teaching. Say that with me. Practical teaching. That is to say, taking this book and applying it to this life, like for real. Now, to some, that can be, uh, or at least seem, overwhelming. And for others, it kind of, it kind of makes them sweat because they, they feel like they should know more or be further along than they are, and they feel guilty, and so they just kind of panic and freeze when it comes to the subject of growth. I remember hearing about a guy that was in a Bible study group, and the leader of this group was just trying to get everybody involved, and so he asked this guy the question. He said, can you just give me the gist of the parable of the Good Samaritan? And the guy just panicked and started saying everything he knew about the Bible at one time. So he said, yeah, yeah, I know that one. That, uh, the, the guy was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the thorns. And the thorns sprung up and choked him, so he got in a chariot and fled. And while passing a juniper tree, his hair caught in a branch, and he hung there for three days. The ravens brought him food to eat and water to drink, so he ate 5,000 loaves and two fishes. <laughs> then his wife Delilah found him, cut his hair off, and he fell on stony ground. Then it began to rain, and it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, so he hid himself in a cave and lived off locust and wild honey. He was awakened by a burning bush outside the cave where he wrestled with the Lord, but did not even get the smell of smoke on him. There he was baptized, but in the water a great fish swallowed him. So he prayed, and the fish vomited him up 70 times, seven times, and he walked on the water, which turned into wine, and they all lived happily ever after. Amen. I'm not sure that's totally right. You may have gotten off the rails a little bit along the way. Here's, here's the point. Here's where I want to go with this. So many of these faith stories start something like this. I kind of knew about God. I sort of believed in Him all my life. But then somebody invited me to a church or a Bible study or a retreat and I heard the Bible taught in a way that I'd never heard before. 
And then people who did not know and didn't realize that the Bible could be relatable in everyday life, all of a sudden are awakened by God's Word. Now, I have heard these stories all my life, and I never get tired of hearing them because they're snapshots of a life that is starting to thrive. So somebody will say something like this. This friend of me of mine invited me to Young Life or to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes or to some Christian business leadership thing and, or to a church that was real different than anything I ever experienced before. And when the guy spoke or when the woman taught the Bible, it was interesting. It made sense to me for the very first time. I could see how it applies to my life. I had no idea the Bible could be so relevant. Now, if you notice those comments, they're not so much focused on getting more information. No, the difference is that it was made applicable to everyday life. It's like someone was tapping me on the shoulder saying, you can live this out with God's help. You can do it. So one big, big factor when it comes to thriving is practical, biblical teaching. We don't just know more. We, in fact, know what to do because of what we've learned from God's Word. But here's, here's a problem that's kind of tough to get past. Uh, our culture, uh, churches and schools and elsewhere, we have a tendency to just kind of cover the material. Cover the material. In other words, there's lots of environments that take sort of a passive approach that's content to look over a few verses and just know what the Bible says about this or that. We don't, we don't want to do that. We don't want to be content with this. Well, I learned what the Bible says about giving, serving, living, trusting. So I'm good. I'm good. We don't want to settle there. See, Jesus was after something very, very different. When he taught, when he began talking about the scriptures, he took a very different angle. It was all about application. Application. It was more about doing than knowing. And this is shown very, very clearly when he teaches in Matthew chapter 7. He draws this real clear line in the sand for those who think that just knowing stuff is what it's all about. And so if you have a Bible or you're following along on version online, you can read along. But this will come up on the screens here in a minute. He's teaching in Matthew chapter 7, and here's what he says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, as he's, pre as he's preaching, everyone who hears these words of mine and nods their head and says, Yes, Pastor, glory, glory, glory. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm. Is that what he says? That's not what he says. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. He's saying, if growth is what you're after, then it's not just about hearing what I say. It's doing it. Put these words into practice. So it doesn't matter how many sermons you hear. It doesn't matter how many chapters you read. It doesn't even matter that much how many verses you memorize if you don't put it into practice. You must apply what you hear. You've got to put it into your real, everyday, 24-7 life. The, the teachings of Jesus were so different because he taught for application, not just for knowledge. Let me just poke a little bit here, if you don't mind. Conversations over the years with folks that had left a really good church. Maybe it was a church I served at, maybe it was just some other good church. And I'll, I would ask them, why'd you leave? And they said, oh, we're going to go to a place that's got really deep teaching. I said, deep? Yeah, yeah, deep. We need deeper. We need meat. I said, okay. I like meat. Meat's good. Only once I had the nerve to follow up with, 
Well, how are you doing with that simple stuff, like loving your neighbor as yourself? You conquered that one already? What about preferring others? You got that one knocked out 24-7? What about the simple stuff like patience, kindness, love, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness? Got all those things loaded in your back pocket flawlessly? How are you doing with those things? Well, that was followed with an awkward pause. <laughs> but here's the point I'm trying to make. When you drift away from applying God's word to your life, then it all gets, it just gets out of whack. You start emphasizing the wrong things and value gets placed on stuff that God doesn't value. The New Testament puts it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. It says, knowledge puffs you up with pride, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs you up with pride, but love builds up. Jesus taught for application, not just knowledge. Jesus was never accused of being a real deep teacher. He taught plenty of uneducated laborers and commoners by using street language and farming stories. Why? Because they lived in an agrarian culture. So he spoke their language. He would say things like, the kingdom of heaven is like this little seed. Or the kingdom of heaven is like the birds of the air. Or the kingdom of heaven is like a guy who bought some land. It was brilliantly simple. I heard someone define genius as someone who can take complicated things and make them simple. Not vice versa. Not taking simple truths and making them seem complicated. That's not genius. That's not even helpful. Jesus took the truths of the kingdom of God and put them on the bottom shelf for all of us. Not so we can pile up knowledge, but so we could put into practice what we hear. So-called deep teaching can actually harm more than help. Why? Because it emphasizes intellect and it ignores obedience. And that's why in most cases, those that were seeking the deep teachings and not the practical teachings, eventually got sidetracked and got off base and ended up in a spiritual ditch somewhere. No longer active in their faith, no longer knowing or doing. It's not about knowledge, it's about putting his words into practice. Jesus emphasized obedience over intellect. You know, this is not unlike the area of health and fitness. I know way more about health and fitness than I'm living out. Most of us do. Most of us know way more than we're living out when it comes to this. And it's, I mean, what's the real truth is that for all our society knows, we are one of the most obese and unhealthy in almost every category type of societies. Now here's the question. Is it because there's an extreme lack of information on the subject? I mean, are there not enough books? Are there not enough buns of steel videos? Do you lay awake at night thinking, if only there was an infomercial that could sell me a fitness gadget. Where, oh where, are all the helpful gadgets? So is knowledge the problem? No, there's plenty of it. There's plenty of it. But I can watch every Stamina 55 video. I can memorize every Zumba routine. I can own every bun-crunching, ab-stealing, PX90, David Hasselhoff fitness video that's ever been made. But if I don't do what it says, it absolutely does me no good. No good at all. I can own it all and sing the praises of it. But if I don't put it into practice, it gains me nothing. Not a zilch, zippo.
Nothing. That's why it's critical for us to put ourselves in environments where we can hear the Word of God taught in a way that encourages and equips us to apply it, to take it from here, here, and put it in our life like out there. This is what Jesus was talking about. This is what he goes on to say in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to continue. Here, here it says, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. He keeps going. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. So, just like the wise man who builds his house on a foundation of rock is the person who takes what God's Word says and does it, puts it into practice. It puts you on a firm foundation for your life. But now let's look at the flip side of this, because Jesus didn't stop there. He goes on in verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I don't like stuff that falls with a great crash. That is never good. It's even worse when we're talking about a life. But when you make a habit of putting God's Word into practice, then even when those storms come, they will come. But even when those storms come, your life won't crash. But just hearing and not putting into practice is unwise. You're setting yourself up for a collapse. Now, one thing I am incredibly grateful for is that as a teenager, our household was coming uh, to Jesus one by one. We were becoming Christians one by one by one. And it was not a head knowledge sort of Christianity. By God's grace, we got to sit under biblical teaching that was practical and it was application oriented. Christianity was not just something that you believed, but it was something that you lived. If you weren't living what you believed, then something was wrong and it needed to be made right. But words and actions went hand in hand. Belief and behavior had to match up. Not that everybody had to be perfect, not at all, not at all. But the understanding was that faith that doesn't work itself out in a life isn't really faith. It's just information. But putting it into practice is what Jesus was after. If we don't do that, it's not helpful at all. Now, a lot of you know that I have a background in professional golf. Um, for years, I worked at, as a pro at a private country club, and I gave lessons and ran tournaments and even played competition for a while. I still play competitive professional golf, even as an old man. <laughs> Hard to believe, but it is true. Um, but not long ago, I went to a respected pro to get some lessons for myself. Why? Because I don't know anything about golf? No, I actually know quite a bit about it. Enough to make money playing it. So I know what I'm talking about. But I realize if I want to get better and not worse, I want to grow in my skill in this area. And that means I have to keep on learning, always learning. And I have to learn how to put into practice what I already know in my head. So I went to see a really good swing teacher. I submitted myself to the teaching of someone else, knowing that he could both show me what I needed to do and show me how to do it properly. And he used an iPad video so I could see, right in front of me, I could see that what I thought I was doing pretty well, I'm actually not. The camera doesn't lie. My feelings about what I was doing weren't actually all that accurate. 
I needed a standard to compare by. So one thing he did was put me on this video screen side by side with another pro that we both know has a perfect swing so I could see the comparison. How do you think that felt? I'll tell you, not great, not great at all. It was kind of like standing next to Brad Pitt. That's bad. And then having to take our shirts off. That's, that's unfortunate reality is what that is. But as difficult as, as it was to see this video, the purpose was to help me grow, to get better, to move forward in my golf game. It gave me practical things to work on. And from that point, it takes focus, effort, energy in order to put into practice what I learned so I don't forget it. So when it comes to practical biblical teaching, let me say this. Sometimes teaching disturbs you. Sometimes teaching disturbs you. Not every message is a pat on the back. Sometimes it's a poke in the chest. It's not a bad thing. It's just a sign that you're not getting off easy. So I have, as I have grown in the Lord over the years, I can remember teachings, messages that just kicked my butt all over the room. And it wasn't that the teachings were harsh or they lacked grace. It's just that they exposed some. The, pierced, the, the truth of it pierced my heart and exposed things in me that I wasn't ready to admit. That's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and it's something you can welcome. It calls you to action. It calls you to do something. It calls you to put into practice what you're hearing. And that's very, very good. But not everyone thinks that's good. Not everyone wants a poke in the chest. I've had people say to me, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I have a right to live any way I want. Of course you do. Everybody does. God gave you free will as a gift. But that doesn't change the truth of God's Word. doesn't mean I change what God, God's Word says in order to keep you happy. You alone will decide how you're going to live your life, and you alone will answer for it. This may or may not be news to you. Jesus got people mad. Jesus got people mad. Jesus preached a message one day, and when he was all done, they tried to stone him. I've had people give me the stink eye, but they've never tried to stone me. Matter of fact, let's take a quick look at how practical teaching is sometimes received. Jesus preaches in Luke chapter 4, and here's what happens right after. It says, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town in order to throw him off the cliff. <laughs> That's a powerful sermon. I'd like to keep getting better, but I'm not sure I want to get to the point where you try to throw me off the I-4 bridge. The point is that practical teaching sometimes confronts you with truth and stirs you to action, hopefully godly action. So, here's the question of the day. Do you want to thrive? Do you want to thrive? You want to look back next year at this time and be able to say, well, I began to take strides forward right then. I, I started tuning in the messages, not just to learn stuff, but to actually apply it to my life so that God can bring about growth, change. Now, let me just comment on that last phrase before I close. It is God, make no mistake, it is God who brings about the growth. It's His strength that does in us what we're unable to do on our own. And for some here, for plenty here probably, there have been plenty of times that you have launched out with the best of intentions. But some, there always seems to be a cave-in along the way. 
That's an indication that you're relying a little too much on your own strength and your own good intentions. So no matter how much resolve you feel, even feel in this moment, it's not enough to sustain growth. The only way to lay hold of real growth is to increase your dependence upon his strength at work in you. So call out to him for help. Call out like Paul does in, in 2 Corinthians. He just says, Lord, your power is made perfect in weakness. So he's saying, I am weak. But then he rejoices and says, but in my weakness you are made strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And in the book of Philippians, he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And then like it says so well in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, he, he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to his power that works in us. So his power in you can do more than you even ask or imagine. I love when I hear the life change stories. I love them. And maybe, just maybe, the next story might be yours. Because of his power at work in me, I'm changing. I'm growing. I'm thriving. That's the invitation that God gives to you. You can thrive. And my prayer is that you'll tune in for the next handful of weeks. And bring God's best to bear in your life so you can become all that you were created to be. I want you to bow your heads and we'll pray. We're grateful for your word, Lord, because it's an extension of your heart. You love us. You want your very, very best for us. Lord, your posture towards us is not one where you stand up looking down on us with your arms crossed, you're tapping your foot, waiting for us to clean up our act. That is not you. That is not you. You call us in closer and up higher so that we might become all you created us to be. And I suspect, Lord, it's even more than we ask or imagine. And we want your power at work inside of us, Lord, so that we would not be the same a month from now, a year from now. But we'll be changing, we'll be growing, and we will be thriving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, why don't you stand?